0: We're going to keep working on this theme of God meant it for good because that's what's in this passage from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, the life of Joseph. So where we've been the past couple of weeks, as a teenager, Joseph had two dreams that got him in big trouble with his brothers. And in those dreams, he dreamed that they bowed down to him, and, and not only that, but his mom and dad did as well, and basically that he would rule over them. And that uh, frustrated them quite a bit. And so his brothers decided to kill the dreams. We're going to kill the dreamer. But they ended up throwing him into a pit and then selling him to some traders. And he became a slave in Egypt to uh, Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And things couldn't get much slower for him. However, God favored him and uh, caused all that he did to be effective and and to prosper. And so um, he... He took charge of everything in uh, Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife uh, conspired against him and accused him falsely. And Joseph ended up as a slave prisoner now. So he went from the pit to prosperity to prison in Egypt. Now, uh, so today we're going to be in chapters 40 to 41. And so uh, have your Bible handy. Some of the verses will be on the screen, some of them won't. And you need to keep me accountable as always. So, uh, follow along. We're looking at the first eight verses of chapter 40. Sometime after Joseph is is imprisoned by Potiphar, Pharaoh gets angry with a couple of other of his officers, the chief cupbearer and the baker, and he puts them in prison where Joseph was confined. Potiphar assigns Joseph to be with them and to attend to them, much as he did to Potiphar himself. So, he still seemed to have a a value in, in Joseph as a responsible servant and overseer. One night, the cupbearer, the cupbearer was one who uh, tested uh, the drinks that were given to Pharaoh so that he, people couldn't conspire against him and poison him. The cupbearer and the baker each had a dream. When Joseph comes to, to them in the morning, he sees they're troubled. And he sees that they're distraught. And he says to them, Hey, guys, why, why are you looking so sad? And they said, why do, why do we look sad? Why shouldn't we be sad? We have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Joseph says to them, What am I? Chopped liver? That's in the original Hebrew. <laughs> Keep me accountable. Besides, don't interpretations belong to God? God gets a lot of focus in this passage, so, so be alert to all the God uh, mentions of God in this passage. Please, tell me your dreams. Joseph has the gift of interpreting dreams, and we really need that here at Harvest, because Greg Goostry has bizarre dreams. (laughs) They're amazing, and I would really like to know... I'm kind of disturbed with what God may be saying to us. In verses 9 to 15, we see the cupbearer tells his dream. He sees a vine with three branches... It buds and quickly produces grapes. He presses the grapes into Pharaoh's cup and puts the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Joseph gives the interpretation. He says the three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, he says, meaning that he will take your case up for judgment, whether for good or for bad. And the result will be good in your case, and he will restore you to your former office of cupbearer. And since he just gave the cupbearer a positive answer, it was a good time for him to ask a favor. We have verses 14 and 15 up on the screen, I think. He says to him, "...only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." The baker sees that the interpretations for the cupbearer's dream is is favorable, so he shares his dream. He says he had three cake baskets on his head, and the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating the baked goods out of the baskets. Joseph gives the interpretation. The three baskets are, of course, three days. In three days, he says, Pharaoh will lift up Your head, that is, he will take up your case for judgment and you're going to hang. And become a banquet for the birds. So, not so good for him. Verses 20 to 23 of chapter 40 on the third day, which was on Pharaoh's birthday, he was having a birthday party for himself. He brought the cupbearer and baker out of, out of prison and a great way to celebrate your birthday is to bring people out of prison so keep that handy and he restored the cupbearer to his position but he hanged the baker just as Joseph had interpreted yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him Joseph continues to suffer bad things as what happened when he was thrown into the pit his brothers kidnap him they sell him into slavery. He um, gets falsely accused and he goes into prison. And so now he's got an opportunity to be free and, and he's just forgotten by the uh, cupbearer. I think this is chapter 41. So we just race through chapter 40. We're going along at a good clip, I think. We might be able to do this. Chapter 41, I think we may have these verses up on the screen as well. After two whole years, so he's been in prison for two years. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. They were known as countables. You don't believe me. Can't think of a better name. And Pharaoh wakes up, and the significance of the Nile, the Nile is supposed to be to have the power to give life, and if, the, if it doesn't work, then the Nile is not performing its duty. The empire doesn't have the power of life. In verses 5 through 8, he continues, and he fell asleep, Pharaoh fell asleep and dreamed a second dream. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, verse 8, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt, all the magicians of Egypt, and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh, not anybody who could interpret the dreams for him. Verses 9 to 13, the predicament of of the lack of anyone who could interpret Pharaoh's dreams jogs the cupbearer's memory of Joseph, who had interpreted his dreams two years ago. He tells Pharaoh the story of how, remember, Pharaoh, you put us in prison, myself and the baker, and um, we each dreamed a dream that same night, and, how a young Hebrew a servant of the captain of the guard accurately interpreted each man's dream verses 14 to 16 Pharaoh sends for Joseph and they quickly bring him out of the pit they're in a real hurry to get Joseph to Pharaoh he shaves himself since the Egyptians don't care for the, uh, the bearded hairy look of the Hebrews they like the clean shaven look And he gets some clean Egyptian clothing, probably from Egyptian eagle. Get these little details, they're just very handy for you to know. In verse 15, I think that may be on the screen, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And then verse 16. By the way, it's amazing here. Joseph is not afraid to speak about God to Pharaoh, who, who himself was considered to be God incarnate, a God incarnate. He answers Pharaoh, It is not in me God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer, a shalom answer. Before Joseph even hears the dream, he's confident that God will give the meaning of the dream. So confident is he that he promises Pharaoh that God will give him a helpful answer. So he has amazing confidence and faith in how God's working in the situation and in God's gifting of him. So Pharaoh now tells his dreams to Joseph, and that's in verses 17 to 24. It's basically a repeat of what we read earlier, what the narrator wrote of Pharaoh's dream. And now this is the narrator writing Pharaoh telling his dream. So it's basically the same thing, only adds to some of the negative descriptions the bad cows before were just ugly and thin. Now uh, they are, the bad cows are poor ugly and thin, sickly ugly and thin. So just trying to give you an idea of what ugly cows may be. Those are ugly cows. And he comments as to how ugly the thin cows still were even after they had eaten the plump cows. Everybody knows that when skinny cows eat fat cows, they should be beautified, right? What a weird dream. Then uh, also Pharaoh described the ears of grain as being thin and blighted earlier, the earlier um, verbiage of that. And now he says they're withered thin and blighted. So he's really focusing on the the negative of what's happening in his dreams. And of course he complains once again that the magicians couldn't uh, explain the dream to him. So now Joseph gives the interpretation In verse 25, Joseph tells Pharaoh that the dreams have the same meaning. He tells him that God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God is revealing to Pharaoh what he's about to do. And he affirms this again to Pharaoh uh, in verse 28 as well. So he says, "...the seven good cows and ears of grain are seven years of great plenty throughout the land. The seven ugly cows and thin ears of grain mean that after the seven years of plenty will be seven years of famine and all the years of plenty will be forgotten the famine will con- consume the land he says that the plenty will be unknown and the famine will be very severe the doubling of the dreams means that it is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about so the theme running through this text is God's providence God orchestrating and in control of all things In verses 33 to 36, we see Joseph counseling Pharaoh. So here's this prisoner-slave Hebrew counseling the mighty Pharaoh of Egypt. And just without even saying, do I have your permission to give you some advice? He just goes right into it. Joseph counsels Pharaoh to select a wise and discerning man to set over the land of Egypt. He says, under him should be overseers who are in charge of collecting one-fifth of the produce of the land during the years of plenty and store up the grain. Joseph says that the stored food is to be a reserve so the land may not perish in the famine. And then in verses 37 to 46, we see what Pharaoh's response is. Verses 37 and 38, I think those will be on the screen. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all who were with him. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? We've been out there on LinkedIn and and we just can't find such a guy. Pharaoh is impressed with Joseph's interpreting ability as well as his counsel, ascribing abilities to the spirit of God in Joseph. So whatever he knew about God and and God working in a person, he said, I see he's working in you, whoever he is. And then verses 39 to 42, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command only as regards the throne will I be greater than you it's just amazing for Pharaoh to grant this kind of authority to somebody who's not an Egyptian and who's a slave and Pharaoh said to Joseph see I have set you over all the land of Egypt then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and Joseph resisted breaking into disco dancing. <laughs> that may be hard for some of us, easier for others of us. The signet ring gives jo- Joseph the authority to validate documents in Pharaoh's name. And um, clothing, once again, enters into the story. So first, his, his robe becomes his, the sign of his favor of his father and gets taken and covered in blood to, to uh, deceive his father... And then the garment was taken by Potiphar's wife to deceive his, her husband about what Joseph had done, what he hadn't done. And so now he gets clothed with, uh, with threads of honor, fine linen. And the gold chain is, is a super high uh, uh, honor in Egypt. And he made him ride in a second chariot, and they called out before him Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all of Egypt. So nobody makes a move without checking in with you. He's really in control. He's got the luxury car, he's got frontmen who tell everyone to give him honor. He's full authority over everyone granted by Pharaoh. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, so a priest's daughter. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. So he went from pit to prosperity to prison and now to prime minister. The narrator doesn't tell us what Joseph's Egyptian name means. Although he is now exalted in Egypt and he's given an Egyptian wife, his identity is still with God's covenant people, as we'll see as throughout the story. He, he maintains his loyalty to God. You'd think he's, he's all caught up in the rich and powerful life of, of the rich and powerful of Egypt. But um, he's 13 years have passed since Joseph was first taken from the land of promise, He was 17 when he first taken and now he's 30 so it'd be easy to imagine he's just gone Egyptian and he does embrace um, his role but he keeps his loyalty to God and to God's covenant promise and we'll see more of that in verses 47 to 52 Joseph's interpretations are now proving to be accurate years of normal grain production give way to huge grain production so it becomes super super uh, productive the land and during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of, of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and, um, and put, stored the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. So they just quit take, uh, keeping track of it. It was so abundant. In verses 50 to 51, before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the priest's daughter, bore, to, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. Joseph gives his baby boys Hebrew names. And his intended meanings give credit to God Joseph isn't saying he has forgotten his family altogether. What he is saying is God has made me forget all my suffering I experienced with with my family. And and again, we'll see this is what he means as the story goes on. Joseph is not forgetting that the suffering happened. It's obvious because he's mentioning it. Nor is he now in denial. It is because he is seeing God at work in his providence, his sovereign good and wise orchestration of everything in his life, both good and bad. So it is possible for you to forget the suffering that has been inflicted upon you, um, suffering in general, in particular suffering that has been brought on by evil things that people have done to you. It's possible to forget it, not absolutely forget it, as though it erases from your memory, but um, recognizing God's work, even in the evil done to you. You don't forget the bad things themselves, but you're freed from the bondage of bitterness and hate. Joseph trusts God's providence and purposes, his good and wise orchestration of all the events in his life. And we see the same perspective in the naming of his second son. In verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Have you ever noticed that the place of affliction can become the place of fruitfulness? We might agree that we don't need to live in the bondage of unforgiveness and bitterness, but we may think that means just barely surviving and certainly not thriving. While we may go through seasons in which we feel we are barely surviving, the Lord can cause us to be fruitful in our affliction. We ought not to think that we are damaged goods due to the suffering and can't be fruitful. There's a man in in Portland area. He's now in his 80s. He's got got a cancer diagnosis. Over the years, he has poured his life into uh, discipling young young men. And um, it's borne a lot of fruit in their lives. Really been transformational for them. Him just spending time with them, talking with them, reading scripture with them. Until more recently, after his hospital appointments, he would take walks in a park and usually shared his faith and led people to Christ after his cancer treatments. Now, he's not doing that so much now, and he may be near death, but God has caused him to be fruitful in his affliction. In verses 53 to 55, The seven years of plenty in Egypt come to an end and the seven years of famine begin, as Joseph had said. There was famine in in all the surrounding lands, but Egypt had had bread. Joseph had such a good system in place for storing up grain that the people forgot that he was in charge of distributing the grain. He didn't have big trucks with his name and picture on them. grain furnished by Joseph. He didn't do that. So people were going to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, hey, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. Kind of reminds me of Mary at the wedding of Cana, if you're familiar with that story. Um, hey, they're out of wine. And Mary saying to, to the people there, the servants, hey, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do. In verses 56 to 57, the famine had spread and become severe in Egypt, so Joseph opens up all the storehouses and sells the grain. And all the earth or every land came to to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth, severe in every land. On the surface, Joseph has been exalted by Pharaoh. But it's clear in Genesis that God has worked to bring about the exaltation of Joseph by the hand of Pharaoh. Joseph is God's man, God's instrument of salvation for the world for all the lands, for all the peoples. In his providence, the sovereign God exalted the prisoner Joseph to ruler of Egypt in order to save the world from famine and to save his people, the people of Israel, his family. This is a fulfillment of God's... This is a fulfillment of God's promise to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, Abraham. In Genesis 12, 3, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So what we're seeing here is God exalts his suffering servant, Joseph, in, in order to save the world. Can you think of another way that that has happened in history? God exalted his suffering servant, Jesus, in order to, to save the world. Because this is true, God has a redemptive, glorious, glorious, purpose in Christ for all of our suffering and you see God's exaltation of Jesus being the means of our salvation his suffering and and his exaltation of Jesus because it wouldn't have done any good just for Jesus to die like a martyr and just be a good example for us but him paying the price for our sins and being exalted and, and so that he could become a life giving Messiah is what saves us Peter said in one of his messages, God exalted Christ at his right hand as leader and savior to grant repentance and forgiveness of sin. Romans 8.34, may have that up there, who can condemn us if we're in Christ? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand, exalted at the right hand, of God who indeed is interceding for us. Christ is a merciful and faithful high priest. He can sympathize with our weaknesses and our sufferings in our battling with temptation and he gives us the power and and in his saving grace he redeems us out of all of the messes that we're in. Doesn't always get fixed in this life but certainly in the next life but many times we see his glorious purposes accomplished even in this life. He's exalted at the right hand of God And he's received the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Spirit. How do you receive the saving, life-giving benefits in Christ? As Joseph provided grain so that many in the world would be saved and live, if they eat the grain, so it doesn't do any good to get the grain and just put it on the shelf and say, hey, look at the grain. We're starving, but it doesn't serve the purpose unless they eat it. So Jesus gave himself as the bread of life to save many in the world from eternal death. Jesus in John six thirty five said to his disciples, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in John 6, 51, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, you've got to eat Christ by faith, You've got to take him into your life by faith. Not just hold him to distance and say, hey, I honor Jesus. I think Jesus is a nice guy. You really need to take him into your life by complete abandoned trust as your life depends on it. Your eternal life depends on it. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus suffered the death we should have died for our sins so that we could receive the gift of life that only he could give. So we'll move into our time around the communion table. And these elements, the bread and the cup, represent the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus used very startling language in in John chapter 6 in saying, unless you... Eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He's saying, You must really believe in me and trust in me totally. And it's not just a one shot deal. It's not just check in with Jesus and go on your way. It's taking him into your life. So we, we will have elders at the, the four stations around the room here, here, back here, and, and here. And they will serve you. And uh, sometimes we will we, we'll pray for you, but uh, I'm going to pray at the beginning. And because uh, of time, we don't want to rush things, so they'll just serve you, and, and then you'll um, take the elements back to your seat, or you can take them there if you wish. But take some time to reflect. Is there anything in your relationship with Jesus that's in the way of up to, keeping the relationship up to date, confessing your sins, um, confessing your appreciation for what Christ has done in his really taking on a body really taking on human flesh, really dying in our place, really obeying in our place, really being resurrected so that he could grant us life for all who come to him and for his redemptive purposes in our sufferings. So um, we'll invite you to come up to the table and receive the elements. And I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for giving us Christ, the greatest joseph the fulfillment of all you ever did through israel through joseph and through all the people all the prophets all all your word leading up to jesus he is the fulfillment of all they look forward to you redeemed us through his suffering and exaltation you exalted him so that we could be saved we don't have a weak savior we have one who really is at work you're really at work for good in all things that we're experiencing in our lives, good and evil. As hard as that is, Father, in the midst of it, we know that's true and we believe it. And so help us, Father, to put our trust completely in Jesus Christ and symbolize as we take these elements, saying, I need Jesus, the real Son of God, Son of Man, the perfect man, fully God, in human flesh, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again and is at your right hand now and has granted us your spirit so we can have life now. It really is. That is our best life now and in the future is Jesus. So thank you, Father.